Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. Today's speaker is Dr. Bo Bruce. Speaking has long been something that is used as one of the distinguishing features of human beings. Uh, the famous linguist and cognitive scientist Noam Chomsky has argued that all humans share the same underlying linguistic structures, irrespective of their social and cultural differences. And by adopting this position, he's rejecting the strict behaviorist view that all behavior is learned, and rather takes the position that language is a unique feature of the human species that distinguishes it from other modes of communication used by other animal species. <coughs> Over the last few decades, scientists have occasionally tried to chip away at this distinguishing feature. I'm sure you've seen some of the articles. And they've shown many interesting examples in the animal kingdom of various features of human language, including something called displacement, which is the ability to talk about things that are not right in front of you, and even aspects of basic grammar. But the fact remains that even a three-year-old human has more language ability than the most sophisticated dolphin or gorilla. We can talk about abstract concepts, things that don't exist, or even completely imaginary. And we can even use language to lie. Language still defines human beings. And our world seems fuller of words somehow than ever before. And yet those words seem sometimes to have not so much content. The world seems to be defined by sound bites and tweets rather than by some reasonable argument. And those words certainly aim to transform our world. And Christians are also a people who hope to transform this world by our words. However, we should take a different approach to words than mere sound bites or tweets to accomplish our aim. Like the rest of the world, we use words, or should I say word, in hope of transforming our world. Our word is not the Bible, or at least it's not com really completely the Bible, and those are indeed important words for us. But our word is our very Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The word, and for what I'm going to say later, the word that is logos in Greek, was made flesh and dwelt among us, St. John writes in the prologue of his gospel that we read nearly every week in service as our last gospel. And remarkably, there are also those that claim that Jesus himself never claimed to be God, when in fact there are several places in the scripture where he does just that, including today's gospel from St. Luke, where Jesus, at the age of 12, stays behind in Jerusalem without his parents' knowledge. Don't you love teenagers? And Joseph and Mary find him in the temple astonishing the experts. And when Mary asks him why he has treated them this way, he says with all seriousness, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? That's a direct claim of divinity. And in light of Christ's divinity, let us consider our epistle reading today. That's what I would like to focus on. St. Paul is writing to the Romans and says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That is, by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 
Now, first note that, that we are not a religion of spirits chained up in our mortal bodies. Now, Paul makes it clear that our bodies are critical for worship. We have to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. And that's part of the reason we move around a lot in our services. And didn't come merely today to watch a concert and listen to me babble. Second, we must focus on these words, spiritual service. If we look those words up in Greek, they are logaki latria. This phrase is translated in Bible translations in a whole host of ways. True and proper worship, spiritual worship, reasonable service, intelligent service. And getting at the root word of logaki, logical service. Or I'd even say more appropriately, that root is logos, word. So, wordical service. There is a game called wordical, but that's a pretty good neologism, I guess. I find that whenever something is translated numerous ways, that's important to focus on that and look a little deeper. It must be that that phrase is packed with mystery or meaning or something like that, and indeed this is one of those phrases. Orthodox Christians believe we are performing this Loga Latria right here, right now. Now, the word Latria is a pretty easy word. It means the worship of God. And in the Bible, most often worship in a very technical sense. That is offered according to Levitical law. And in fact, Latria is the word from which we derive liturgy. You'll sometimes hear that liturgy means the work of the people. But that's not really accurate, as I've learned. Instead, it means work for the people. Naphtali Lewis discussed the history of this word in an article from the 1960s in great depth and looks into the, the etymology of this word. This word is made up of two pieces, public and work. And this was for public works in the same sense that one would talk about the public works today as the infrastructure or service to the state. And in fact, the earliest meaning of this word referred directly to specific state services required of wealthy residents in Greece. In ancient Athens, liturgical acts involved equipping and manning a warship of the fleet, providing a chorus for a dramatic festival, or various less important but less expensive functions, some of which were related to religious ceremonies. And by the late 5th and 4th century BC, the term had broadened to any service to the community, and later to designate a service of any kind for any beneficiary, not necessarily for the benefit of the community. And it also around this time took on a meaning around cultic service to divinity. And this was carried into the Septuagint. And it's likely that Paul was using it in this sense when he used it in his letter to the Church of Rome that we read today. The word worship in general appears a lot in the Bible, but this word is often, this word latria is often more commonly written as service, but occasionally you'll see different translations as I just told you. So worship occurs a lot in the Bible, but this thing, latria, only appears five times in the New Testament and five times in the Greek Septuagint Old Testament. Now, remember that the Greek Septuagint is the Old Testament scriptures translated into Greek about two centuries before Christ. So, 
Interestingly, the use of this word is also focused on just a few books, three books of the Old and three of the New. Two of the uses in the Old Testament occur in Exodus in consecutive verses and are usually translated as service, and an important service they are. They're specific to the Passover. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lands for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that's in the basin and touch the lintel of the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of the house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you as he has promised, you shall keep this latria, this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this latria, this service? You shall say it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. Later in chapter 13, the words used in verse 5 with respect to the Feast of Unleavened Bread that follows the Passover. The next time occurs in the book of Joshua during a conflict between the tribes of Israel about an altar that the, the tribes east of the Jordan built that was ultimately resolved. But again, it has this very specific meaning about the services of the altar. It was about tabernacle worship in that case. And then the final Old Testament uses in 1 Chronicles as David charges his son Solomon about the temple. Be careful now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. Then Solomon gave his son the plan for the temple. I won't read all of that, but it's all the, the rooms, the mercy seat, how the entire design, the weight of gold, everything that needs to be done, the cups, the cherubim, how they spread their wings. It, and all this was made clear to me in writing from the hand of the Lord. All this work be done according to him. And David told his son to, to be courageous and do it. Don't be afraid. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord God, even my God, is with you. He will not leave you or forsake you until all the work for the service, Latria, of the house of the Lord is finished. In the New Testament, Jesus uses this word one time in John 16, 2. These things have I spoken unto you that you should not be offended. They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whoever killeth you will think that he does God service. Latria. Paul uses it a few chapters before today's reading. He says, For I wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They are Israelites. And to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, the latria, and the promises. And then it's used finally by Paul again in Hebrews twice in chapter 9. Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship, latria, and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was presented, the first section in which were the lampstand and the table, the golden altar, etc. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat again. You see, these preparations thus having been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties, their latria. So we see the, the places that this word is used, there are not many, and every single one of them refers very specifically to tabernacle or to uh, a type of sacrifice or sacrificial worship. 
And so it appears that Paul was using this later sense of service to God. But remember, it still had that earlier meaning too, I'm sure, that of service for others. And as we discuss Paul's words, I think we'll see why that word, it's like perfect for this passage. But let's first turn a moment to logaki. And in that word, I think it's even a little bit more challenging. It does mean something along the lines of rational or logical, but not really in the sense probably that we use it most often. That's something completely in our head and all in our minds. Uh, rather, it means something that's equally intuitive and natural, something also in the heart. Indeed, one could say that we are called to offer the worship of our very nature. Likewise, that's connected to the concept that Paul uses in the next sentence, by the renewal of your mind. Now, he's not referring to our rational mind. There's another word for that in Greek called psyche, which we use in words like psychology. But instead, he uses the word nous, which while also being translated as mind, in, and as mind in English is more our intuitive discernment which enlightened by the Holy Spirit allows us to submit to the will of God. So logaki derives, as we mentioned earlier, from logos, meaning simply a word like the ones I'm speaking about right now, but also the word. In the beginning was the word, the logos, and the logos was with God, and the logos was God, and the logos was made flesh and dwelt among us. So if we are very members of Christ's body, we are likewise the very syllables of the word. And indeed, that's the context in which this, this brief epistle reading dwells. The reading today of the epistle concludes, or as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually, members of one another. Paul continues just after that, having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So within creation, humans are uniquely endowed with language. It's part of how we are the image of the word, the image of God. Paul is saying here that we are syllables that make up the word with a capital W. None of us are alone this word. Jesus is not alone the word. And if we don't work together as the syllables, and act according to the graces given us, we will be gibberish. This analogy that Paul offers is directly related to his analogy of the body of Christ that he references here. Each part of the body needs other parts of the body. It's in this sense that I think captures that earlier meaning of liturgia. Each of the parts of the word or of the body perform their duty for the benefit of the whole. As Father Stephen Freeman has said, we're not saved alone. God delights in communion. He delights in sharing his life. Yes, 
Jesus was the eternally begotten word. But in his passion, death, crucifixion, resurrection, ascension, he transformed us into a part of him as Christians. We are part of his body. We are part of his word. And we have to work together to be saved because we are not even a word, much less the word, not even a body, much less the body of Christ, if we're not working together using the graces that God has given us. The church needs us all, and we are all part of the priesthood of all believers. You cannot rely on me, certainly, or even a priest or bishops to save you. You need to count on everyone who's here. Christianity is a team sport. The Advent needs you, and God needs you. And if you don't have any New Year's resolutions related to God, now's the time to make one. Think about your strengths and use them this year somehow. So we're here today to offer our Logaki Latria, a worship that is our logical, rational, vertical, or perhaps the best word for it is our natural worship. It is the very worship that's part of our human nature. Or as Thomas Hopko, a Orthodox priest and Dean Emeritus of St. Vladimir's Orthodox Seminary, a blessed memory says, perhaps Logaki Latria should simply be translated human worship. Finally, I don't know if you noticed that Paul said something else important at the beginning of this passage. He said, I appeal to you, therefore. Therefore what? By the mercies of God. What mercies of God? Well, Paul explains all that in the verses right before our epistle reading starts. He says, as regard to the gospel, they, the Jews, are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you at one time were disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have been now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they may also now receive mercy. God's consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. A great verse. But what Paul is saying is this, this craziness right here. Take faith, my brothers and sisters, for just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of others' disobedience, you will now bestow mercy on others by your disobedience. That's what Paul is so shocked about. Even in our disobedience, we are saving others. This is clearly part of the gospel, and it really shocks Paul a little bit. It shocks me. How unsearchable and are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Now, again, as I say at times like this, this is not a license to sin. Paul will say so himself. But yet, they reveal the very working and unfathomable power of God to turn darkness into light. It's that mercy that Paul is telling us that motivates our loga kilatria that we offer to God here today. But our loga kilatria does not end at the threshold of the church. Just as we are the hands and feet of Jesus, offering hope and restoration to a broken, broken world through service, almsgiving, prayer, we are also the logos, the word to this world. And what will we say? Are we willing to really say what we believe in? Are we willing to be martyrs 
word means witnesses to the true word and only word that's really worth dying for. If the word is worth believing in, then the word is worth sharing. So, in conclusion, I ask you this week to share a word of hope, love, faith, charity with someone who needs it. This week, send your words before the throne of God in prayer. This week, voice your syllable of the Logos and turn darkness into light. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, God is one. Amen. Talks at Advent. Homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.